The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what I did was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play. Off to the races. Touchdown. Oh, he's done it again. Now here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Today on the AFC Projections Spectacular, we will find out is, well, actually, we'll, we'll guess, is Miles Gaskin good? Will Pittsburgh run enough plays to give us three good wide receivers for fantasy? What kind of role will Kenyon Drake have? We also have an emailer who thinks that Austin Eckler is being overdrafted. We'll see if we agree with that. Your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. This is Fantasy Football Today. We're looking at some of the most interesting AFC projections from Heath and Chris. First question for you guys. We just got some speculation out of the Denver Post's Ryan O'Halloran. He thinks that Javante Williams will lead the Broncos in carries this year. Neither of you have that projected. You have Gordon with more carries. What will it take for you to make that switch to project Javante Williams for more carries than Melvin Gordon? Um, I guess positive reports out of training camp saying that Javante Williams is looking like the lead back for the Denver Broncos. It wouldn't, I don't have them very far apart, so it wouldn't take very much at all. I think I have Gordon at like one and a half or two more carries per game, like a 30 carry difference. So it it wouldn't take very much. I'm pretty agnostic on the whole situation. I still think like Melvin Gordon was really good last year and Javante Williams is a rookie. So I still expect Gordon to lead the team early in the year, but this is, this is a little bit noteworthy. Yeah, it was, it was our... Probably one noteworthy news item uh, that we will talk about. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. We have a big conundrum here. Chris, you want to talk about your tattoo conundrum? I think it's a pretty interesting talking point. <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, so you know how like you're not supposed to wear like a band's shirt to a band's concert? Yeah. Or like, no, no. I went to the Georgia Aquarium on vacation and I wore a shirt with a whale on it. I wasn't sure if like oh, that that's was cool. I'm into that. Um, Why aren't you supposed to wear the band shirt to the band concert? Because you wear like the team shirt to the team's games. It's assumed that you like that band. Yeah, but it's assumed that so you like when you that go to team. a game, isn't it? Is assumed that you like the team, right? But your your support of the team is meant to uh, increase their odds of victory. I'm trying to make the band play a little better. Let's go, Pearl Jam. <laughs> right <laughs> um i'm with so you yeah please. i'm wearing uh a wilco shirt it's a reference to one of their songs theologians and um it's got a little 
Pac-Man ghost and a little Pac-Man cherry. Um, I've had this shirt for like 12 years. I think my wife got it for me for my 21st birthday. So it means a lot to me. And I got a tattoo with the same uh, logo here. I, I don't know how to show it. Oh, there, there it kind of is. There, there it is. Yeah, there there it is. Straight in your arm. You can see it. Hold on. There, there it is. It, yeah. Uh, right. And my wife believes that I can no longer wear this shirt <laughs> because I have this tattoo and that I have to give her this shirt, oh. which is an obvious ploy for her to get like a nice worn in uh, cotton t-shirt. Yeah. I disagree. But what do you guys think? I don't think you can no longer wear the shirt because you have the tattoo. I think you can no longer wear the shirt because your wife wants it now. No, that's not how it works, though. I think that she's right about the tattoo. She's wrong about having to give it to her. And I would just oh, put I have it away. To throw it away? Yeah, just put it away in a drawer. Yeah. It's I weird. No. First of all, it looks like a Pac-Man shirt. You know, I didn't. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I would never have known it was Wilco. Well, it that's says, for the it Wilco fans. Wilco. Right. It says Wilco under. What about your tattoo? Does it say Wilco? No, no. That's just, well, I like the, you know, nobody can tell. Am I a really right. big Wilco fan yeah. or just a Pac-Man enthusiast? I think that's good. Uh, this reminds me when I was in college, I had a, a ringtone of a band I was really into. And I was wearing their T-shirt that day. And my phone rang, and I was like, this is embarrassing. I'm way too into this band. So I changed my cell phone ring. Um, so I, I don't, th- don't, I don't think tell us. Should- don't answer. But can people please guess what band this was? Because <laughs> I'm assuming it, that band is terrible. They say lit. No. Um, um, no. I'm going to go with Sugar Ray. Oh, God. You know nothing about me. It would never Sugar be Sugar Ray's Ray. has got, like, two good songs. Uh, yeah, that's, this is a fun contest. Guess which band I was super into. It started in high school. I graduated high school in 2002, so probably 2001 or 2002. I got so into this band. Uh, I can give a hint later no. in the show if you if you want. Yeah. All right, okay. uh, let's go. Let's go to the projections. Uh, which projections are you farthest apart on? I asked you guys. You gave me some answers. Heath, you had mentioned Will Fuller. I think actually the answer is probably Jalen Waddle. Uh, when I look at the Dolphins wide receivers, because when among uh, looking at the Will Fuller projection, it turns out Chris has like don't draft Jalen Waddle if you go by Chris's projections. Forty-two catches, six hundred twenty-three yards, five touchdowns on eighty-one targets. Draft Jalen Waddle based on Heat's projections: seventy-seven catches, nine hundred sixty-six yards, four and a half touchdowns on hundred and fourteen targets. Big difference there, Heath. Big uh, confidence gap between you and Chris and when the Jalen Waddle projection. Yeah, and I don't um, like. I think this Dolphins receiving core is a bit of a mystery. I don't express any certainty about this, but Will Fuller is one of those players where I just like almost everybody else. I'm like, we're just going to ignore injuries. We'll factor that into rankings, but we're not going to factor it into projections. You absolutely cannot project Will Fuller for 17 games because we already know he's going to miss one, and the likelihood based on his career is he's going to miss about seven. Well, how, did you project him for 16 games? I just tried to cut back on what a 16-game projection would be. Oh, okay. Um, like, I think if you told me he was playing every game, I would expect him to be the best Dolphins wide receiver. I don't know any reason anyone would expect him to play every game. Right. Well, he did it last season. But, well, but he's not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> right, right. No, but you said after week one. <laughs> no, I'm saying he's not allowed to do the thing that allowed him to play all of his games last year. Okay. All just, right. We don't know. All, we don't know if correlation equals causation in this right. case. And also, I think historically speaking, um, you know, th- this is, is anecdotal, but also I've read some good evidence to suggest that this is also the case: is that when you take performance-enhancing drugs, 
you generally keep the gains that you made. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean not all performance-enhancing drugs are designed to improve your performance or enhance your performance, as it were. Uh, some of them are just to help <laughs> keep you healthy. Performance-improving drugs. Uh, we don't... I don't know if we can draw a correlation there or a causation. Yeah, a lot of people have, Chris. I agree with you. I, maybe he just stayed healthy. It's not necessarily the... The PEDs that yeah, kept and, him healthy. And like his injuries, there have been a lot of injuries, but like it was a broken collarbone one year. It was a torn ACL one year. It's been hamstrings. And like, it's not necessarily like it's been one recurring injury over and over and over again. And if you listen to fantasy baseball podcast, you know that I made this argument for Byron Buxton, who has been on the, the injured list twice so far this season <laughs> with random injuries. Um, that were not related to any injuries that he's ever had in his career. So <laughs> clearly, but he's been awesome when he's been healthy. The Byron Buxton of football. See, but uh, well, no, what's the Will difference? Played a lot more than Byron Buxton. But, but what's so different about your because your your fuller projections look pretty similar. You know, somewhere around nine hundred fifty yards, six or seven touchdowns within five targets of each other, within six catches of each other. So I do think it's the it's the hierarchy in the Dolphins' passing game where we're we're really different. I, I do think. Fuller is significantly higher than anyone else. Um, and you know, obviously the fact that he's only projected for 16 games makes a difference there. But yeah. um, I do have Waddle a decent amount behind Devontae Parker and Will Fuller. I have him for a 15% target share versus 20% for Parker and 21% for Fuller, and it would be higher for Fuller and, and you know, per game. Uh, I have Waddle getting the same amount of targets as Mike Kosicki. I could just be an idiot. I fully admit that Jalen Waddle is a very, very good player. He's an incredibly talented player. But, you know, the, the thing about this offense is this is a lot of guys who make plays down the field. You know, there, there's a lot of Gasicki for a tight end makes is a, is a downfield player. Devontae Parker usually has an A dot over 10 yards. Will Fuller, obviously a very good downfield player. So you can make the argument that Waddle will kind of fill in the gaps and, see more screens, see more intermediate stuff, get the ball in his hands in space and give him an opportunity to make plays. And, and in which case, you know, he could have a higher target share than this. But I also just, I could see it being the case that a rookie is not worked in slower, but just doesn't have quite as big of a role from day one than the, than the veterans. I, it's an assumption. Yeah. We're, we're all making assumptions with this. The, the things that I kind of lean on in, in projecting Waddle a little higher I think as far as pedigree goes, he clearly has the best pedigree of any of the pass catchers in Miami. And like a lot of times you discount the rookies because he has to earn that quarterback's trust. He's played more games with Tua than anybody else on the roster. Um, so <laughs> that's a funny way to put it. I, he, well, but I think like so I, I don't know how much that matters. I think we can overemphasize the familiarity, but I don't think it's nothing either. So that I don't know that there's a real good chance of anyone being a number one wide receiver on this team and earning 125, 130 targets. I think they'll spread the ball around quite a bit. But I'm just leaning on the guy who has the most familiarity with the quarterback and I think has the most talent getting the most targets. Yeah, the 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 problem, the thing that I'm struggling with with Waddle, and this could just be a mental block on my own, is that for a player drafted as early he, as he was, one, his college production profile is pretty lacking. 14.5% um, college target share, uh, really high yards per target, but 
you know, relatively speaking, low catch totals, low touchdown totals. Even last season, which was his best, we're talking about a six-game sample size where he caught 28 passes. Um, yeah, but turned I did just, a lot with him. Oh, yeah. He averaged 21 yards per catch. He's an, an incredible playmaker. Um, but this is an open question with all of these Alabama guys is how – what do we do? The things that we typically look for with college wide receiver prospects, target share, dominant score, all this stuff, dominant rating. Uh, how much can you apply that when you're talking about guys you played on a team with? Did it end up being four first round wide receivers on that 2019 team? Uh, Three for sure. Judy, um, uh, yeah. Three, four, yeah. Rugs, Rugs, Smith, Rugs, Judy. Yeah. And, so, like, how much can you hold it against these guys that they didn't break out until those guys were out of the picture? Um, well, the NFL but also, didn't, <laughs> but also you know? Jalen Waddle is really small for a, for an elite wide receiver prospect. He's five foot nine, 180 pounds. Yes. He's very, very fast, but um, it's just, it's kind of a prospect profile that doesn't have a lot of uh, there's not a lot of history of this type of prospect profile turning into an elite number one NFL wide receiver. And so I'm working under the assumption that he'll be more like a complimentary piece this season with Fuller on a one-year deal. Parker, I believe they can get out of that deal after this season. Um, You know, I think it's kind of a, let's see what this offense can look like. We'll, you know, reevaluate afterwards. Um, I do think this offense is going to take a step forward. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of talent here. Um, I just think there's a lot of uncertainty as well. I think Jalen Waddle is the only Dolphin that I have projected for more fantasy points than Chris. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Well, there you go. That's some Dolphins talk and more coming later. We'll take a look at Miles Gaskin and uh, his his uh, projection, which is pretty interesting. We, by the way, are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards, so please get out there and nominate us, as you've always done, uh, so we can advance to the final round. To nominate Fantasy Football today, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. If you go to podcastawards.com, I'm sure you can probably figure it out there. Toggle down to the sports category, and we will put the link at the top of the episode description as well. All right, so I'm going to make a note of that right now. I'm going to put that in the episode description. Uh, please help us out. We'd love to win that award. Let's do it. The uh, only news item was about Javante Williams, and this was the quote from the Denver Post from Ryan O'Halloran. He did a Q- Q&A with some viewers, r- viewers, readers. They, they read the paper. Uh, the Broncos traded up in the second round for Williams, and they weren't high-fiving and fist-pumping in the draft room because he will watch this year. If Gordon has a productive training camp, I see a situation where he takes the first snap-slash-series of the, of the game, and the Broncos ease Williams into a bigger role each week. Prediction, Williams leads the team in rushing attempts and yards this year. There you go. There you have it. That is a prediction. It is. A lot of momentum for Javante Williams, and... This is why you. This is why drafting early is good. If you like Javante Williams, then you probably can get him earlier now. If you're the Scott Fishbowl or something, then uh, maybe maybe you already missed your chance with this report. Uh, but I just feel like it's going to just keep rising that ADP. Uh, yeah, I probably. mean he's already a he's already a fifth round pick. He's already about a round ahead of Melvin Gordon in, in NFC ADP, and I get it. I, I would rather have Gordon if the prices are going to continue to move in opposite directions, too. And that was not the only news item. What else? 
a former first round pick requested a trade, demanded a trade, quite frankly. I don't know who. Nikhil Harry. <laughs> By the way, I just what? I, I forgot to him? mention the Dolphins' top three receivers are all first round picks. How about that? Is that neat or uh, that, that sounds right? It, it is right. I thought Will Fuller was a second round pick. No, twenty first overall, first round pick. You man, so you hate Will Fuller. You want to give here's <laughs> something um, that I was looking up about Javante Williams. Uh, there have been 31 running backs drafted in the second round over the last uh, decade. How many of them do you think have topped 200 carries as a rookie? Um, 31, Out of 31. 13. I was going to say 14. If, 14. Five. Whoa. Wow. Mikel Deshore, Jeremy Hill, Jonathan Taylor, Le'Veon Bell, and Eddie Lacy are the only ones to have done it. I, that doesn't necessarily mean Javante Williams won't do it. I, I'm as shocked as you guys are that the number is that low, but this is the kind of thing anytime you look up uh, rookie running backs outside of the first round, really, and it, like the chances of them actually playing a big role based on historical precedent is way lower than I think we tend to assume. Yeah, but if you can get... If he gets 100 carries in his first 11 games... Or twelve game, no, no, ten games. Sorry, and then a hundred carries in his last seven games, then it's different, right? You know, if you just said, "All right, he's going to be a bench piece for me," I'm just going to sit on Javante Williams, uh, and then hopefully he pays off for the last half of the season or something close to that. Then you know, then it would pay off, right? Right. But that's if it's a fifth fifth round pick, that's a pretty iffy proposition. It's probably going to be a fourth round pick. Yeah, I'm not doing Uh, that. That that's where it gets iffy for me. So. I don't know. It's it's hard to say because like it worked out with Jonathan Taylor, even though it was frustrating. Right. All right. AFC projections. Let's start with the Tennessee offense. You have to start with this one. This one is so interesting. Heath has Ryan Tannehill projected for 69 more pass attempts. Nice. Yeah. Uh, based on his fantasy points per pass. This is a stupid, you know, just for fun stat. Either stat. Based on his fantasy points per pass attempt in 2020. That would be an extra 58 fantasy points. It basically would have made him the second, the number two quarterback tied him with Josh Allen. He would have been like half a point behind Josh Allen in six point per pass and touchdown league. So that's uh, that's how good an extra 69 pass attempts would be for Ryan Tannehill. And you guys are very similar on your targets for Brown and Jones. Heath has them tied in targets. Chris has five more for Brown. But Heath, uh, 4,700 passing yards for Tannehill. Chris, 4,000 passing yards for Tannehill. Heath, you get the first word. Yeah, I and there's a little bit of an assumption here, but you know, with Arthur Smith leaving, you assume there's a little bit of a change in the offense. And the fact that you go trade for Julio Jones signifies to me that you might want to throw a little bit more than you have in the past. So that that's mostly where that comes from. I mean, obviously, if you were talking about just what he did last year, you'd expect probably 30 more pass attempts just from a 17th game. And so we're talking about a difference of probably two per game that I've added. And that's that's a considerable difference. But also the Titans, and they might just continue to do it, have been so, so run heavy over the last couple of years. I'm really just regressing them a little bit more towards normal. Yeah, and, and, actually, yeah, and, and oh, go ahead. generally speaking, more pass attempts should mean more plays overall because they're more efficient. But some of those pass attempts will be incompletions, which stop the clock. So generally speaking... 
you know, a team that passes more should run more plays than that same team running fewer pass attempts. Um, there is a gap between how many plays we have them running. I have them basically right in the middle of where they've been the last couple of years. Heath, you have them higher than they have been. Um, you would, and you adjusted that for like per game for 17 games, right? Oh, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close on per game. You're right. You're right. Okay. Oh, is that, yeah. is so wait, is that the difference in your projections that you, your plays are based on 16 games? Chris, or they're based uh, on 17? It depends where you're looking in the projections. All right. Well, we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about Pittsburgh, but go ahead. Um, but, like, I, I agree that the Titans are going to likely run more than or pass more than they have based on the addition of Julio Jones. I actually, I moved A.J. Brown up a little bit in my projections after they acquired Julio, Julio Jones, which I think is, you know, maybe a, a little bit counterintuitive, but I think one, it... You know, I, I baked in less regression for him with Julio Jones playing next to him and, you know, a, a, a higher team wide passing rate. So, um, yeah, I think like I still have Tannehill as QB nine, um, which is pretty good. Uh, where does where is he for you? He's Not bad. Seven. Yeah. And like I have Aaron Rodgers ahead of him, I have Jalen Hurts ahead of him. Both of those, you know, if, if we're doing rankings versus projections, I think maybe Tannehill might be ahead of those two guys. So I don't think we're that far off. Um, I am just lower. I think we talked about this on the NFC podcast. I'm a little lower on passing numbers across the board mm-hmm. than you are, and I think that's just regressing a lo- regressing a little bit more for 2021 when there were uh, you know kind of some outlier passing performances across the league. Um, I certainly like this Tennessee offense and you know, what do you have? Do you have Derrick Henry seeing more targets than normal? Yeah. I just, I think I have the Titans offense being better than yours. I have Derrick Henry with more rush attempts than you as well. Okay. And and you have, you have Derrick Henry averaging 5.4 yards per carry Heath. Chris, you have him at 4.8. Yes, which I understand is outside of where Derrick Henry has been the last couple of seasons, and maybe he will continue to be uh, that much better than everyone else. Although, you know, we're not that far removed from him being a 4.9 yards per carry guy. So I still think there's value in regressing towards a league average, even while he's been much, much better than that. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why I've been consistently low on Derrick Henry two years in a row now. <laughs> well, and I had regressed Henry a little bit more before they brought in Julio Jones. Um, but now I don't know how anybody could stack the box against them. Yeah, actually, let me give you some stats on that if I can find them. It might take well, me a minute. Well, I guess it depends what personnel they run. Stacking, stacking the box usually is related as much to personnel as anything else. And so if you run 11 personnel, you're less likely to have the box stacked against you. I would imagine the Titans will still run quite a few two tight end sets, which is something they did a lot last season and, and mostly 12 personnel, but um, I'm not sure who that second tight end would be. Here we go. Ready? This is from Dave. Derrick Henry versus a stack box. Uh, he averaged six yards per carry with six in the box, 6.1 with seven in the box, five yards per carry with eight in the box, and just under five yards per carry with nine in the box that was on 56 attempts. Um, only, only 29 carries with six men in the box. So usually it was seven or eight. He was a lot better when they were seven in the box. He was 6.1 yards per attempt compared mm-hmm. to eight, which was five yards per carry and nine, which was five yards per carry. Um, 
so that was interesting. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know anything to make of that. <laughs> still, still really good. Five yards per carry with a stacked box. But if he sees fewer men in the box, it could be even better for him. It's like I said, six yards per carry when they it were could be. six or seven in the box. Yeah, you know, part of the problem is anyone who averages 5.4 yards per carry historically almost always goes down from there and usually by quite a bit. Um, but, you know, for most of them, they're going from like 4.6 yards per carry the previous in, you know, N minus one season to 5.5 in N minus or N season, which is a lot different than Derrick Henry being 4.9, 5.1, 5.4. So, I don't know. It, I could definitely like, there's no question I could be low on Derrick Henry, like a hundred percent. I have him leading the NFL in touchdowns. I have him leading the NFL in rushing yards, but I think I'm still 200 yards short of you. Okay. All right, let's go to our next one. So yeah, help me out here, Chris. Did I miss, was it a 16 versus 17 game thing here? Cause I have Heath has Pittsburgh projected for 1073 plays and Chris has them projected for 995 plays. And that's a huge difference, obviously. And really, what I just looked at the receiving targets, the breakdown here, and it was like, oh, wow, Heath just has a lot more targets for these guys. And I said, okay, well, what about the plays? So Heath has a Pittsburgh projected for 1,073 plays, which last year would have ranked sixth. I mean, I don't know, know that there's much sense. This is 17 versus last year's 16 games. But uh, Chris has Pittsburgh projected for 995 plays which might be the lowest in the NFL if that's a 17-game pace. That's a, The team pages are 16 games. Okay. The rankings pages are 17. I'm sorry. I didn't communicate that. All right. That's uh, pro- that's no problem. Um, so, But even still, 995 would have been 25th last year in between Jacksonville and Baltimore. And Pittsburgh uh, was 11th in plays last year with 1,043. So that's a big decrease there, for Chris. 995 plays for Pittsburgh. And I, Yeah, and, you know, that's... What I, I was going to say that might offer, a, and maybe I, I won't, but if you're looking at a three-year average of what Pittsburgh's done, that's not far off yeah. um, from where where they've averaged. The reason for that is they had a, a season where they were at 930 the year that's been missed up the year. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think with a passing game that they can rely on more or a rushing game that they can rely on more this season and – um, you know, I would expect that they're not going to be quite as extremely pass heavy as they were last season. They'll run the clock more. There will be fewer plays run. Um, so that plays into it, but I, I could be talked into being too low on that as well. Um, well, you, do you think you're too but, low uh, you on know, the Steelers wide receivers? Uh, that I really struggle with because I can absolutely see it, but it doesn't really depend on the Steelers wide receivers. And I don't think it really depends on how many plays the Steelers run. I think it depends on how good Ben Roethlisberger is. I think that's the ultimate question. If, if we're still dealing with a Ben Roethlisberger who is afraid to take a sack and you know won't stand in the pocket and is you know throwing these four yard uh, passes every time out, I don't think much is going to matter. I think it's going to be really hard for this offense to to be much better than average. Um, just because you know when we saw, especially in the second half of last season, when they really bogged down that way. This was just an ugly offense to watch, and it took a lot to move the ball on. It took a lot to find the end zone. Um, I'm just not sure what to expect from Ben Roethlisberger in that way. I can be talked into both sides. I can be talked into the idea that a year further removed from surgery, he's got a little more arm strength. He plays a little more comfortable, and you know he's willing to take those chances that he wasn't last season. 
And he's, on the other hand, he's also a year older. And, you know, he's a year less athletic and a year less physical and a year further removed from his prime. And so I'm erring on the side of this continuing to be a pretty conservative offense um, when it comes to how often they pass, throw the ball downfield, especially, which is why I think I'm quite a bit lower on Chase Claypool, especially than the um, than the consensus. Well, and I think also, like, if Ben's throwing 600 and 600 passes versus 650, that makes a bigger difference maybe for Claypool because we expect him to be more efficient on a per-target basis. And mm-hmm. the difference between the 95 and 115 targets for Claypool is the difference between being someone you'd want to start as a wide receiver three and not maybe. So, And then yeah. kind of also the same thing for Juju, unless you expect him to have a big bounce back in terms of efficiency, he needs 140 targets to be a number two wide receiver. Or he needs the efficiency to bounce back, which hopefully both of those things happen. But it's um, there's there's plenty of reason for questions with that Pittsburgh offense. I, the one thing we do have pretty similar is the ratio of targets going to Deontay and then Juju and then Claypool. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's pretty set just because of the type of receivers that they are. You know, I think um, you know Claypool being the downfield guy, Deontay being the intermediate guy. Juju's kind of the wild card because he's been, you know, multiple different types of receivers in his career. And I think last year was a really poor usage of him in a way that they kind of had to lean on because of Roethlisberger's limitations. But, you know, ultimately the target share, the the number of plays run, that matters. But I, I think the biggest thing is just what does Roethlisberger look like? And I don't think we're going to get an answer to that in training camp. I don't think we're going to get an answer to that in the preseason. I think, you know, if you went back to training camp reports last year, it was, oh, you know, Roethlisberger's looking pretty good. He's throwing the ball with decent velocity. Like there, there wasn't like, boy, Ben Roethlisberger looks like a shell of himself, which I think is what we must got in the regular season. Heath, so, Heath, how important is it? Biggest factor for me. How important is it for you, Heath, to have a piece of this passing game? I'm not actively targeting them. They mostly make me nervous. Okay. Um, I end up with Juju a lot in round six because I think he's a round five wide receiver. So that's that's good. But he's really the only one that I usually draft. Okay. When we come back, let's talk about Miles Gaskin. As Gaskin and, and Malcolm Brown are projected to be the top two running backs by both Heath and Chris. And they both have them combining for right around 340 carries. But the split is very different if you look at the projections. And then we'll take a look at uh, Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. Both Heath and Chris have Jacobs at 254 carries in 17 games. But what kind of role do they have for Kenyon Drake? That is very different. We'll also read your emails at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. And we'll be right back. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. 
Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Miles Gaskin. He scored 13 or more PPR fantasy points in, I think, eight of nine games that he, you know, got a lot of work, significant work. He was really, really good for fantasy. I want to talk about whether or not he was actually good because that's another story. But if we just look at your projections... Uh, Heath has Gaskin and Brown combining for 336 carries. Chris has them combining for 340 carries, but the split, like I mentioned before the break, is different. 204 carries for Gaskin for Heath and 234 carries for Gaskin for Chris. So, Heath, you have a bigger role for Malcolm Brown, not not necessarily a fantasy-relevant one, but I guess I, sh- I should say a smaller role for Miles Gaskin at 204 carries. Yeah, and it's not um, like I, I think we've got a lot to find out still about Miles Gaskin and whether because they they gave him for like a six game stretch a true workhorse back role. He did have trouble staying healthy with that role, and Malcolm Brown's fine in that secondary short yardage role. So I do think there's a possibility, obviously, that Malcolm Brown sees a little more carries than what Chris is projecting, but. I'm projecting, I think, Gaskin closer to his floor as a low-end number two running back, and Chris is projecting him a little bit higher as a mid-range guy. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that I come back to with this offense is that, you know, Gaskin played 10 games. He didn't start all of them, but he played 10 games. He played 61% of the snaps in every game. Savon Ahmed started three games with Miles Gaskin inactive and also played at least 61% of the snaps in each of those games. So now you're talking about 13 games where, you know, one of the two clear top options on the team, they got, you know, that's not like every single down workhorse work, but, you know, that's that's the kind of running back share, especially if you're getting third down work like both of them were, where that's a pretty valuable player. That's, you know, in a decent offense, you're probably looking at at least an RB2. And you can say, well, you know, Malcolm Brown wasn't there, but you know, for Malcolm Brown's career, he's always been someone we thought of as just like an afterthought at best, just a guy. And Miles Gaskin may just be just a guy, to be clear. I think he was pretty good in the passing game last season, but you know, not necessarily anything special as a rusher. So is Malcolm Brown good enough relative to the guys they had behind Miles Gaskin last season to cut into that role significantly and more specifically is he going to cut into that role in particularly valuable ways you know passing downs and goal line work i think the goal line work he will i think that that seems pretty clear based on how they used gaskin last season but given the fact that you know when savan ahmed was the only starter that they felt comfortable with when gaskin wasn't healthy 
they used Ahmed the way they used Gaskin. And then when Gaskin was healthy, they just didn't really use Ahmed. Um, that said, suggests to me that they did really like Miles Gaskin last year and they liked what he brought to the field. So my thought is that Malcolm Brown's probably going to have a more limited role. Um, and I still have, I have him for like a hundred carries, which is probably more than anybody on the Dolphins had uh, paced out for when Gaskin was healthy. Uh, yeah. I, and Gaskin, I don't know. I feel like in our drafts, which are usually full PPR and three wide receivers, I, I don't see him lasting until the 57th pick, but that's his ADP right now on NFC since June 1st, right after Kareem Hunt, right after Javante Williams, now 56th. So it's like Hunt, Williams, Hunt, Gaskin are, are basically back to back to back. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we talk about Mike Davis, and it's like, oh, is Mike Davis good? We haven't had too many discussions about Miles Gaskin, but there's not a ton of evidence that he's super good. You know, he his longest carry of the year was 26 yards. He doesn't have explosive breakaway speed. He ran a 4.5840. He was a seventh round pick. He didn't measure well in the elusive rating on PFF. He didn't break a ton of tackles. He didn't have a lot of yards per contact after or yards per carry after contact. Um, but he also didn't have a good offensive line. But I don't know. There's nothing that really says Miles Gaskin is so good. I try to watch a lot of Miles Gaskin film, you know, whatever, which is just silly. But I think it's hard to me. It's really hard to look at running backs and evaluate them. I think it's much easier to look at wide receivers and evaluate them. But I don't know. I, I just don't really have a ton of confidence in him as a player. And I, I would I would spend a late fifth round pick on him. But if it's a running back heavy draft and he starts going in the fourth round or something, I wouldn't do that. I view him like Mike Davis. And, you know, who do you guys but like you, better between the two of them, I guess? You seem to have a pretty big um, difference in your mind between a fourth and a fifth round pick. Like when we yeah, talk about these yeah, guys going I in do. round five, that seems way too late, but you do not want to use a fourth round pick on them. Yeah, I think there is a big difference there. Um, I don't think there's a big difference in the wide receivers being selected in rounds four and five. Um, but once you get past round five, most of the elite tight ends are off the board. Most of the potentially elite tight ends are off the board. Uh, the quarterbacks are going to start coming off the board at this point. But yeah, I mean, you're yeah, I don't want to have a bust in my first four picks. You're right. I, this is a 12-team league, by the way. I'm always thinking 12 teams. There is something different about a fifth-round pick than a fourth-round pick to me. A big difference. Um, I, I will just say, when it comes to running backs, at least over the last five seasons, uh, the big difference is the third round, where over the last five years, eight of 21 third-round running backs have scored at least 200-plus fantasy points. Whereas in the fourth and fifth round is eight out of 35. So that is where that dead zone starts. Uh, running backs drafted in the fourth and fifth round, at yeah. least over the last five seasons, have been right. pretty pretty yucky. Because you get a lot of guys like Miles Gaskin. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, right. So if I'm going to take a running back in the fourth round, I need to feel pretty damn confident about him. And that's not how I feel about Miles Gaskin. I think the the lesson might be that anyone who the industry is letting fall to the fourth round, you should not feel pretty damn confident in them. Yeah, at running back or at at yeah, running back. Yeah, I mean the, the, um, there there are apparent exceptions this year, notably Josh Jacobs at thirty eight point three and Chris Carson at forty one point six. But oh, yeah, Carson was the one I was going to go to. But I don't I don't feel as confident in Jacobs as you guys do. I'm well, less confident I, in Jacobs than Heath is. Everybody is. <laughs> I mean, I've got him like 17th. I, I There's a big difference. We, I feel like when Josh Jacobs is talked about or evaluated, 
it's like, well, I mean, he's obviously not going to live up to that first round draft pick. He's obviously not going to be an RB1. And you're not drafting RB1s in the fourth round. Right. Yeah, that's the other question is what kind of expectations do you have for your fourth round pick? At least I would at least like them to have a chance to be an RB1. I don't think think it's hard to argue that Gaskin and Mike Davis don't when they both gave us longer stretches of RB1 production last year than guys were drafting in the first round this year. And yet I don't feel like they really do. I just I don't know. <laughs> I understand that's the that's uh, what like, everybody you don't, says. You don't okay. First of all, there's a few <laughs> things with Gaskin. Tua threw the ball to running backs a lot less frequently than Fitzpatrick did last mm-hmm. year. Don't know if that'll translate to this year. Don't know. You don't add Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle though, and expect Miles Gaskin to have a the same role to me in the passing game. Um, so uh, so the bigger question though, because it doesn't, we talk about running back talent and you were kind of laughing at yourself for watching Miles Gaskin film. And like if Miles Gaskin and or Mike Davis get 18 touches a game and their rosters are currently constructed in a way where that's a possibility, then they have running back one upside. Yeah, any it, any yeah. person who an NFL team puts a helmet on and gives them 18 touches a game has running back one upside. Yeah, I can I'm, I'm agree. pretty running back agnostic when it comes to I'm talent agnostic when it comes to running back. In I'm a, not in a though large because degree. because if he doesn't have that much talent, he's not going to keep getting 18 carries per game. Sure, because, but, but he did last year. Yes, he did, and it worked out pretty well. And for some and it's reason, not the I, same. I, and it's not the same for Davis, who did start losing work. Davis's workload was less consistent last season, and he's on a new team. The 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 reason I'm more confident in Gaskin than I am when, in, with Davis is he's coming back to the same team. They had opportunities to make upgrades. They didn't. Um, and we saw him in this role on that team consistently, whereas Davis's role did fluctuate a bit with the Panthers. And one, we don't actually know if Atlanta's offense is good for running backs. We just kind of assume it is, but it's kind of been a while since that's been true. Um, and... You know, if you're telling me Davis and Gaskin are both average or below average talents, which I think is completely reasonable, I think Gaskin's in a better situation. <sighs> what do you think, Heath? I think I mean it's really it's parsing between the Falcons and the Dolphins as a situation is um, very difficult, and there's room <laughs> for disagreement. But I think the Falcons are going to score more touchdowns, and I think the Falcons have a better offensive line. And I think the Falcons have less current competition for touches at running back than the Dolphins. I think Malcolm Brown and Savon Ahmed are better than Kadri Allison and Cordero Patterson. Uh, Okay, look, if you look... (laughs) I have no... I mean, I I really have no opinion on that one. If you look at Miles Gass, I think basically it might come down to this. I think Miles Gass needs, needs to be very involved in the passing game to return fourth round value uh, and pretty involved in the passing game to return fifth round value was, because I just don't think he's that good of a runner. And that's basically what it comes down to. Um, and look, he was, he had a ton of catches last year. He had 41 catches in 10 games. So uh, like I said, I, they did not, you're right. They didn't upgrade the running back position. They upgraded the rest of the offense though. So maybe they won't be as reliant on miles Gaskin. Maybe they will try to make it to his team a little bit more. And that would hurt Reasonable. Gaskin, but yeah, I I picked these guys out because they're not they're not easy they're not easy calls. So our last one is the Vegas running backs, 
and Josh, you guys would rather have Jacobs and Gaskin. I have Gaskin ahead. Oh, I I have Jacobs ahead. Heath, who do you have, Jacobs or McCaffrey at this point? I don't understand. <laughs> it's really frustrating that I clearly <laughs> rank Jacobs below where anyone's ranked in the last two years, and we act like I'm the Josh Jacobs lover now because I have him 18th. Uh, yeah, he's 21st at ADP, but Heath just seems to be, in among the CBS crew, the guy who always takes Josh, Josh Jacobs. I do find it kind of like Jacobs is below Dobbins in ADP, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Big time. I kind of get it, but though. I don't really you, get it. Like, I could see Dobbins. having Dobbins ahead, but I don't think it should be a huge gap. I think Jacobs is such a good running back. I don't understand what happened to him last year. He looked like a real star as a rookie. I think his, I think it was his offensive line. I really think that was, was a like big part of it. running back last year. Yeah, but he but he was 3.9 <laughs> yards per carry. He didn't have big plays like he did in his, as a rookie. He didn't run the ball as well as he did as a rookie. You agree with that, right? I, I believe that's true. That's a hundred. Come on. That's obviously true. Uh, he just scored a lot more touchdowns in his second year. Yeah. The problem with him his first year is I don't know why Josh Jacobs doesn't score touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. All right. Look, I, you know what? No, this is not fair. All of the criticisms that people have for Josh Jacobs are so legit. You can't just sweep them under the well, rug. I, but my point is just like, in the realm of running backs who are going to get a lot of carries but not catch a lot of passes, Jacobs is kind of fourth out of what I think are kind of like the four obvious ones. And that's, you know, Henry and Chubb, obviously way ahead of him. But Dobbins doesn't have the track record to put way ahead of him. And I'm not sure his situation is that much better than Jacobs. So in, in in one way, at least, I do think Dobbins is or Jacobs is a little underrated. I, I'm I'm a little on. Oh, by the way, do you although not, I don't think he agrees with me on Jacobs versus Dobbins. Do you not put Miles Sanders on that list in terms of running backs who won't get a lot of catches? Oh, I think he's got the potential to have a much bigger role in the passing game. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen that before. That that's the thing is that all all the other guys, Henry. Jacobs, Chubb, Dobbins, we've never seen them be used that way in the pa- in the passing game in the NFL whereas Sanders had a very big role and a very yeah. valuable role in the passing game as a rookie and and even early on last season he wasn't catching the balls which is a problem in and of itself but he had the role. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely no dispute there. You guys both have Jacobs projected for 15 carries per game, 254 for the season, but uh Heath has Drake getting 136 carries, and Chris has Drake getting 20, 97 carries, 97 carries. So, um, I don't know. Heath, even with, like, that's a lot of running, isn't it, between Jacobs and Drake? Well, those two numbers together is 390, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's not really very no. many rush attempts. Okay, so then, Chris, what's missing there? Why, why do you have... Uh, is there another runner? Yeah, I mean, I've got Jalen Rashard for a handful, a couple dozen. So do I. I've got, um, him for, I've got him for 14. So Yeah, I've got him for 423 total uh, as a team. I have him at 453, and all, the, yeah. all of that difference appears to be Kenyon Drake. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically, I just I have Kenyon Drake with a bigger role in the passing game. That you know, there, there was talk about them using him as a, as a wide receiver at times, splitting him out wide. and I just think that's probably the best usage of him in this offense. I, and that's the that's the thing I really struggle with with Kenyon Drake and this situation. 
Because everyone, I think, agrees it makes no sense to give Kenyon Drake $11 million to play running back when you have Josh Jacobs. Everyone agrees that was a poor decision. Yeah. Yes. Throwing the ball a bunch to Kenyon Drake based on his historical success also appears to be a poor decision. He's had one season where he was above average as a pass catcher. Well, we have to keep in mind. John Gruden may not be good at the talent evaluation part of the job. Right. But I just, I, that's why I don't have him projected for as many targets as Chris mm-hmm. does is just, I, and maybe that's just me. I should like, I don't have any, they haven't done it yet. So I don't have anything to base them doing it on other than some speculation. And when I look at what he has done as a player, that doesn't appear to be one of his strengths. Um, so part of it for me, I didn't, they have that. thrown the ball. They have thrown the ball to running backs, you know, quite a bit in the past. Right. Um, yeah, but it's gone down two straight seasons, and last year was actually pretty low. Sure. Turns I have them for 119 targets for their running backs, which is probably a little higher than last year. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know why they got away from that, but the top. Yeah, I gave this. I think I gave this stat last week, but over the last three seasons, the top three running backs, anyone with more than 10 catches for the Raiders. Uh, combined for 101 catches in 2018, 92 catches in 2019, and 69 catches in 2020. Nice. Uh, so, you know, it's gone down. That's a personnel thing. I think they, they went from DeAndre Washington as one of the three to Devontae Booker as one of the three last season. And so they had yeah. two guys who aren't great pass catchers out of the three. But this what, year, I mean, Jalen Rashard had 19 think... catches last year. He had 38 yeah, he and 30. Did he? I don't remember that. He had 68, then 36, and then 19. I don't remember Jalen Richard's games played. Yeah. Um, I, I, whereas I think they... I'm assuming they view Drake as a, a better pass catcher than Booker or Jacobs, given the money that they gave him. And so that that's where I come down on that, um, which is why I have Jacobs as a fringe number three running back, I think, or Drake as a fringe number three running back. But I, you know... I, I certainly don't feel super strongly about drafting Kenyon Drake. He's RB 31 for me, but there's not much difference between many of the guys in that range to like 45. Okay. Anything to add? Um, no. Okay, great. Well, I'll add this. You should be watching CBS Sports HQ. Start your day at 8 a.m. Eastern with Morning Buzz, an hour of highlights, news, and all the days need to know. And come back or leave us on all day at 6 p.m., we're going to break down all of the night's action and release dozens of picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world. How do you watch CBS Sports HQ? So easy. Go to your Roku, your Apple TV, your Fire TV, most connected TVs, and look for the CBS Sports app. Fire it up. Check out HQ. That's the only 24-7 free sports streaming network on the CBS Sports app, baby. Make it happen. All right. Time for your emails. FantasyFootballCBSI.com. This one is from Cooper. Every now and then, Cooper will send me an email that he obviously worked on for so long with some statistical breakdown, and this one is about Austin Eckler, and he's worried that we're too high on Austin Eckler, and he gives a list of reasons. One, Eckler has never topped 132 carries, 557 rushing yards, or three rushing touchdowns in a season. One, he has a new head coach and an offensive staff with no loyalty to him. Um, I'll skip a few of them. He won a four, go down to four. He has a new offensive coordinator that has no loyalty to him and used multiple, ba- multiple backs with the Saints. Five, he is not Alvin Kamara. Kamara is 5'10, 215. Eckler is 5'8, 200 pounds. 
Six, Eckler is closer to Theo Riddick or J.D. McKissick in terms of height and weight. Seven, Eckler has not been the goal line back, and there's little reason for that to change now. Uh, then he gave a stat on, oh, it, eight. Okay, this is good. In Eckler's nine healthy games, he faced what had to be the easiest rushing schedule in the NFL. The Bengals, Chiefs, Panthers, Bills, Patriots, Falcons, Raiders, Broncos, and Chiefs again. That's actually pretty interesting. Um, you could ignore number nine. I already replied to Cooper. We had to uh, update that one. Ten, the defense is healthier and should be much better this year. Um, That's pretty much it. Yeah, so a lot of reasons why Cooper thinks we are too high on Austin Eckler. I don't. I don't. Like, I appreciate Cooper listening to our show and emailing us regularly and the time and effort that he put into this email. I have, um, I think three years ago, tweeted out that Austin Eckler basically was Alvin Kamara. And from an efficiency standpoint, as a football player, he's been very close to Alvin Kamara. And, like, that is not because of size. You can find on three different sites, three different listings for the weight and height of Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara. Um, <laughs> it's within 10 to 15 pounds. And yeah, it, it, injury concern could be a concern, but I don't care if he only has 132 rush attempts this season. The offensive coordinator in Los Angeles is going to use him like Alvin Kamara was used. He is phenomenal at that role and has been one of the most efficient pass-catching running backs in the NFL since he joined the league. And um, they don't like the whole doesn't have any loyalty to him. Joshua Kelly was so bad last year that they were playing Kalen Balazs and Justin Jackson <laughs> over him. Yeah. Larry Roundtree is a sixth round pick. There's not anybody else to give the ball to. They will share carries for sure, but only because they don't want to give Eckler 350 touches. Is Eckler a first round pick in a non PPR league? Is he a first round pick in a half PPR league? No. Not even in half PPR? I think he's close in a half PPR. Okay. Surefire in in a full PPR league. But like he's played over the last three seasons, he's played four fewer games than Alvin Kamara. He has 198 fewer rushing yard or receiving yards and three more receiving touchdowns in those four fewer games. So he's been a better receiver than Kamara. Um, you know, three seasons over 10 yards per reception as a receiver for a running back is ridiculous. He's been, I mean, he said he's been one of the best pass catch, most efficient pass catching running backs since he entered the league. He's been one of the most efficient pass catching running backs of all time, especially when you account for the, the very large usage that he's had. Um, he doesn't have to be Alvin Kamara to, to justify his current draft cost because he's not being drafted as high as him. Um, and nobody's expecting him to have that same role. He Come can on, have... make the prediction right now. Do it. Say Eckler's going to be better than Kamara. Go. I know you. No, want, I know you no, want to. I have I have Kamara as the number two running back. Okay. Uh, and I have Eckler as number four. So there's no way I can make that call. I will say, Cooper, you said that he's never been a goal line back when Melvin Gordon missed the first four games of the 2019 season. Austin Eckler had three. Oh no, he had a, one of them was receiving. He had two one-yard rushing touchdowns in four games and a one-yard touchdown catch. So take that, Cooper. All right, but Cooper's my man, and keep writing in. Uh, from Brady, subject line: Daniel Jones top five upside. And then he says, "Hello, Adrian, Robert, Leroy, and Ontario." 
Vikings running backs. <laughs> Interesting. All right, keeper question. In a one quarterback two uh, one quarterback PPR league with a two hundred dollar budget, I can keep only for one year. Calvin Ridley for nine dollars, Jonathan Taylor for sixteen dollars, or J.K. Dobbins for zero dollars. Sorry, Daniel Jones is terrible. So again, two hundred dollar budget. It's PPR. Calvin for nine. Calvin Ridley for nine. He's not quite Calvin yet. He hasn't gotten there. Uh, Jonathan Taylor for sixteen. J.K. Dobbins for zero. I mean, by any fantasy point per dollar metric, uh, uh, J.K. Dobbins is the obvious choice, but I'm going to say he's third here. I think Taylor and Ridley are are quite a bit better than him, and a, a 9 and $16 difference in a $200 budget is nothing. It's, it's not very, nothing. very it's not nothing, right? But do you go Taylor or Ridley? Oh, you can only keep one. Yeah. Oh, Ridley. I think I'd go Ridley too. Believe it or not, I'd go Ridley. Get it? You know? No, I do get it. I have Ridley <laughs> projected for more points. Believe it or not, Ridley. Just going to go right past it, Adam. Okay, from Tim. I thought this was funny. He gave us longitude 30, 39 degrees north, 105 degrees west. Dear Ricky, Pedro, Jake, and Dorn. Major League. Mm-hmm. PPR Keeper League. We can keep up to three players for a maximum of three years with the keeper cost being one round higher than where the player was drafted the previous year. I took Justin Jefferson in the 12th round last season. I finished second, so I'm picking 11th. Is it worth trading Justin Jefferson, who can be kept in the 11th round, and my 202 pick to get 103 and 2.9? I would use 103 on Kelsey. Um... And then I would have my choice of Clyde Edwards Zelayer or Keenan Allen at 209. So it's essentially Kelsey and CEH or Keenan Allen for Jefferson and 202. No. You wouldn't do that? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think it would be close, though. Okay. This is from Barrett. Best ball question. You've talked about some interesting draft strategies where a player's inconsistency might reduce his value in regular fantasy, but the high weekly upside provides more value in best ball. Example, Tyler Lockett is more valuable in best ball if you stack him with DK Metcalf since you don't have to care which week one hits versus the other. Do you guys agree with that, by the way? Um, I would, I definitely agree with players that are like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf being more valuable in best ball than they are in redraft. I don't, and I don't, it's not, it's not quite as true. I think the combination of Lockett and Metcalf, but I do, it is true, but lesser so. Okay. Anyways, I know rankings and ADP can be dumb, but I need a sanity check on the following. Regardless of whether he's good for the team, if Jameis Winston is the starting quarterback, he can be an elite fantasy quarterback. If he's bad and gets benched and Taysom Hill is the quarterback, he has elite fantasy upside. In other words, if you don't need to know or care who will start in any given week, the two combined are basically an elite fantasy quarterback, right? But their ADP and best ball means you could get them in rounds 15 and 18. Uh, so it just seems too good of a value to be true. A value to be true. What am I missing here with Jameis Winston and Jalen Hurts? Uh, sorry, and Taysom Hill. Nothing. Yeah, I think you guys agree with that. 
Well, yes. The only thing you're missing is that when you draft one of Jameis in round 15, you're not Taysom doesn't come with him in round 18. Right, you have to take yeah. them. Yeah, you probably have to take them back to back. Yeah, it is a roster oh. spot that you're using. That's, yeah. well, that's useless. It, it like makes. I also I've seen it a lot. A lot of times with those guys, one of them gets taken and the other one goes pretty shortly after. Yeah, because there's yeah. somebody in the league that thinks, well, why Jameis just go? I'd rather have Taysom or vice yeah. versa. Yep, that yeah. happened to me actually. But I think that works in a two QB league as well. You know, like in in Scott Fishbowl, you know. People who are in the Beyonce division don't listen to this, but <laughs> I would love to end up with Jamison and, and Taysom if I don't, you know, take a second QB early. I, if if that's my number two QB, I'm thrilled with it because I I feel very confident I'm going to have a starting caliber QB. Good show, guys. Good stuff. Live mock draft tomorrow. Get excited and check out fantasy football today in five as well. For Chris and Heath, I am Adam. Thanks so much for listening and for watching on YouTube.com/slash Fantasy Football Today. Make sure you go. And uh, nominate us on podcastawards.com. And would you like the hint to the band that I had the T-shirt and the cell phone ring? For? Yes, of course. Yes, uh, they had a one of their songs was used as the theme song for a popular TV show in that era. Oh, they might yeah. be giants. Yeah. <laughs> nope. All right, we'll talk to you later. See ya. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.